Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Dr. Kim and Susan are on a little getaway to Texas visiting um, Susan's father and her brother and sister. So Dr. Tim asked for us to do the welcome and announcements. It's a team effort always here at CBC. So I am going to start out by turning the microphone over to Jika. If you're a visitor to our church today, I think everybody didn't set their clocks right or something because we are, somebody started fall break early. We are usually <laughs> full to the brim and everybody's sleeping in because it's cold maybe. I'm going to go ahead and ask you, everybody, to get your folders while we're doing our announcements, and please give us a record of your attendance. Just pass those down the row. Visitors, thank you for being here. We love our church, and we hope you love our church, too. And I'm going to pass the uh, microphone over to Jika so she can talk about the deacon ballot. While here, I'm going to also mention the blood drive which is the 14th, and we still have a few spaces available. See me. Uh, As a congregation, uh, September the 6th, you had the opportunity to nominate five members as serving deacons beginning in 2016. Uh, So the names were tallied and selected by a wide margin uh, to present it for your approval today, October the 4th. So as deacon chair and along with the current deacon board, we submit this slate to you for your approval and they will serve this, uh, the slate that you uh, have chosen will serve 2016 through 2018. Uh, So uh, just check that. You will see that there's an opportunity for a a write-in name if you... Uh, so desire and these will be collected during the offertory so just put them in the offertory plate when you put your generous tithe in there Uh, put the the ballot along with it thanks and I know for a fact that we do have a lot of tired folks tonight or today this morning If you in any way donated things to the last two-day garage sale or rummage sale, if you worked in any way, if you did anything for the rummage sale the last two days for missions and ministry, please stand up so we can thank you properly for all you do. And Sybil has a little total for us, so we'll see how they did. Come on up, Sybil. This is not an exact total because we still have expenses and stuff to pay for the meat and the buns and that sort of thing. But we are thinking we're going to have an eleven to $1,200 profit after all expenses have been paid from the last two days. Thank you. Now on to the uh, Harvest Fest, October 30th. As you can see on your bulletin, Lana is going to be taking care of the uh, monetary contributions. See, Lana, if you want to make a, a donation to that. Uh, Mary Rye has told me the youth advisory team will not meet today at 4. So trustees are still meeting. Next Sunday we have the Fellowship Cafe hosted by the youth. That is Rachel, if you have any questions about that. Uh, <laughs> did you know that, Rachel? The youth is hosting Fellowship Cafe next Sunday. All righty then. All right. Okay. All right. Um, Red Cross Drive, as Jika said, is coming up. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to give you a little rundown on our guest preacher. I know you all can read, but Miss Tara Edwards is with us today. Tara is a graduate of Western Kentucky University and the Baptist Theological Seminary of Richmond. She served as chaplain at the University of Louisville Hospital, ER and Hospice. She has faithfully served in many leadership capacities with the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship, including moderator in 2013 and 14. She has two sons, and I know now they are age 10 and 12, and she currently works as a financial advisor for Edward Jones in Madisonville. So... We'll give her a warm welcome. We thank her for being here. And now we can stand and sing our song of gathering, number 231, Come Christians, Join to Sing.
church. Not, not at four, right? Yes. Please be seated. Come on, you sore. Excuse me, excuse me for my uh, awkward walk and slow walk, but um, yesterday my mother and I walked slash ran a 13.1 half marathon, our first one. <laughs> and unlike my mother, I was not prepared. I did not train. She did like every day, and I did not, and I am paying for it. I'm sore. Um, <clears throat> may the God of all grace and compassion be present among us as we worship today. Seeking God's healing, love in our lives. May we also feel the pain of those whose hearts are unhearable. Lifting our songs of praise and thanksgiving. May we also offer to God our lives, dedicated to living out the gospel of peace. God, be with us in our worship. Bless you shutting the doors of this building. We also shut the doors of our hearts. Lest we believe that in closing our eyes to pray, we can close our eyes to the world in need. God, be with us. course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, 
which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and he named it Enoch after his son Enoch. This is the word of the Lord. Come on down, children. Oh, we got three pretty young girls. Rachel wanted me to announce, though, that they're going to have youth at 6.30. Is that right? Okay, so. Did y'all listen to what uh, Deacon just read? Some of it? Any of it? Any of it? You did? Okay. And he was, re- he was uh, reading about Cain and Abel. And you, do you know who Cain and Abel were? Who? What? No, close. Who was the first people that were on that God made? Adam. Adam and Eve, right? Well, he was talking about what happened back in back way, 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 way back. Cain and Abel were. Um, Adam and Eve's firstborn. Cain was older, Abel was younger, and um, Cain was a, a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. At that time, they would have sacrifices for God, and so Cain he uh, he brought like a some leftover straw or something, you know. <laughs> and, but Abel he brought a uh, a, a really nice. Uh, sheep. So what he did, uh, Cain was kind of jealous, you know, and uh, he didn't like it that uh, uh, God really, really liked Abel's offering, his sacrifice. So you know what he did? He killed him. You know what he killed him with? A rock. Have you... Have you ever been hit by a rock? It hurts. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, God, he really cares about us. He loves all of us, regardless of what our gifts are. So what Cain did at that time was to, you know, he sinned. He killed his brother. Now, do you have brothers and sisters? Do you like them? you have a brother? Do you like them? You got a sister? Would you, would you hit them with a rock? No? Even if they made you real mad? No, I wouldn't think so. Because y'all are, y'all are good girls, right? Y'all wouldn't ever think about hitting anybody with a rock. No. But uh, that reminds me of the story. Jenny is a young girl's name. and uh, Jenny was in her room, and her mom knocked on the door and asked uh, Jenny to uh, clean up her room. Y'all have messy rooms? You do? <laughs> yeah. My daughter Rachel has a messy room too. She's got a messy house. <laughs> and it was and she was messy when she lived at home. But anyway, Jenny looked at mom and said, Okay, okay. But but you know, Jenny thought, Well, I really don't want to clean up my room, so I think uh, you know, I've got this homework I need to do and I'm real excited about doing it. You know, I'd love to you know, to do that homework project. So instead, she did the homework. Okay? She didn't do what mom had asked her to do. Just like 
Cain didn't do what God had asked him to do. So that kind of puts him in the spot, puts mom on the spot, because mom's, you know, how can I scold Jenny about doing her homework when she actually, you know, was supposed to do cleaning up her room? But, you know, doing homework's good, right? But did she actually do what she was asked by mom? No. So with that said, Jenny probably should have asked mom, said, Mom, can I do my homework instead of cleaning up my room? And mom probably would say, yeah, do your homework. That's great. But then clean up your room, right? But that's the lesson for today. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you today that we have these children that come down to, to listen to these stories, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this church and we thank you for all who are in it. Lord, we ask you to be with ones who couldn't come today and couldn't be with us. Lord, we ask you to bless our speaker today, Lord. Guide and direct her. Give her the words to speak. All these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Our God, we're thankful to be together this beautiful fall morning to worship you. We celebrate the changing color of the leaves, the cooler temperatures, the harvest of the crop that you have blessed us with. And as we celebrate the changing of one season to another, may we be mindful that we also are undergoing changes in our lives and entering new seasons. And we are just so thankful that you're always with us in whatever season of life we're in. Amen. good for me to be here. I am uh, born and bred Southern Baptist and then grew up, went to Baptist Theological Seminary of the Cooperative Baptist mindset and moved back to Central Kentucky and then went Western Kentucky and it gets harder and harder to find like-minded Baptists. But I've had a lot of work with the Cooperative Baptist Kentucky Baptist Fellowship where I got to know uh, Tim and Jika a few years ago uh, when I was in charge. Who put me in charge exactly? But anyway, I had uh, some worship planning to do amongst other things and I called Jika and I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who I was, but she uh, was so gracious. And so anyway, it is a treat for me to be here. Um, So thank you all. Of course, Tim offered the invitation, but thank you all for allowing me to be here today. So when I was prepping uh, for what to preach from, a lot of times pastors pull from the lectionary. Now the lectionary is a three-year series, if you will, that they have year A, B, and C, and they pull from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from uh, the um, Gospels, and then from the letters of Paul. And so every Sunday there's a scripture from each one of those sections, and the theory is after three years you've gotten through and you've kind of covered all the major stuff of the Bible, if you follow it. Interesting enough, Cain and Abel don't show up anywhere in the lectionary, which gives me pause, kind of makes me wonder, do we think we just know the story, and so what's the point of revisiting it? But it kind of got my curiosity up, and so I did a little bit of digging, and this is where my wanderings took me. One of my favorite modern-day theologians is Garrison Keillor. Few others can make fun of us Christians and still speak volumes of truth with such grace and ease. 
And I found several quotes in his Leaving Home, a book that he wrote, that were useful for me today. For those of you who know and love Garrison Keillor, my apologies because I cannot tell a story the way he does. But between 1953 and 1961, he threw himself weeping and contrite on God's throne of grace on 12 separate occasions. And this in a Lutheran church that wasn't evangelical. No altar call, no organist playing just as I am without one plea while a choir hummed and a guy with a shiny hair took hold of your heartstrings and played you like a cheap guitar. This is a Lutheran church, not a bunch of hillbillies. These are Scandinavians and they repent in the same way that they sin, discreetly, tastefully. At the proper time, and they bring a jello salad for it afterward. Larry Sorensen came forward, weeping buckets and crumpled at the communion rail, and to the amazement of the minister who had just delivered a dry sermon about stewardship, who now had to put his arm around this limp, soggy individual and pray with him and see if he had a ride home 12 times. Even we fundamentalists got tired of him. Granted, we're born in original sin, worthless and vile, but 12 conversions, that's too many. God didn't mean for us to feel guilt all of our lives. There comes a point when you should dry your tears, join the building committee, start grappling with the problems of the church furnace and the church roof and make church coffee and be of use. But Larry kept repenting and repenting. Have you ever been Larry? I know that some of us suffer a conscience more than others, but has there ever been something in your life that you've done, either on purpose or not fully aware of the dire consequences of something until it was too late, and now all you feel is guilt and despair? If only you could repent and repent and maybe correct your actions, make it better, breathe easier. I'll tell you, any time that I'm given the opportunity to preach, my first inclination is actually to draw from the, from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. Of course, the New Testament is where Jesus teaches us, where we can hear his words in, about the difference between the law and the spirit of the law, where Paul can painstakingly lead us through solid doctrine. But for me, the Old Testament is where the stories are, where the meat of life exists. Sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my head around the things like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. But now I understand something that's told to me in a story. The story of Cain and Abel has all the good elements of great fiction. Family disgrace, brotherly rivalry, sacrifice, jealousy, anger, murder. Do we hear Game of Thrones anywhere? It's something... For great fodder for primetime television, and I think it's why it's so easy to sink your teeth into it. I hope that we are all aware as we read our Bible that much gets lost in translation, going from one language to another, one culture to another, certainly true for our sacred scriptures. For when Cain is born and he is named, the original readers would have known that his name meant to get to create, to acquire. But then the second son comes along, and Abel's name means vapor or nothingness. So to be reading this as a native speaker in this language and culture, you would have already known that trouble is brewing, that darker music is playing in a minor key, that there's some foreboding. So the story goes that Cain decided to bring a sacrifice to God And Abel, seeing what Cain is doing, decided to also participate. And the story already has me intrigued. In our culture, we don't talk about making literal sacrifices to God. But these two boys, according to this story, are very aware of a God who is very present. A God who walked with their parents. Who knows very intimately the consequences of displeasing and disobeying God. Their parents were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and fierce angels preventing them from re-entering. So they want to be on God's good side. They want to offer up the very best of who they are so that God's blessing will shine down on them. Cain is the farmer. 
brings the very best of his produce. Abel, the herdsman, brings a blood offering and the best that he has to offer. There have been lots of explanations about one offering was accepted and why the other one was not, but the text does not specify. It just says God had no regard for Cain's offering. I wonder how Cain heard God's displeasure. Was it immediate? When we read the scripture, it certainly feels that way. Or was it perhaps how life began to unfold? Very likely, Cain's interpretation of God's displeasure isn't immediate, but it's after a passage of time. Because don't we do the very same thing? We make a decision, and we decide if it's a good one by how it turns out, not by the truths that inform our decision at the beginning. We choose to travel down one road over another, but there's road construction and major delays, so you know if we'd taken that second road, it'd been much better. A relationship ends badly, so we wish we'd just never started it, rather than remembering the blessings and what we've learned. It could have been the same for Cain. Perhaps Abel's flocks begin to flourish, but Cain's crops are struggling. Perhaps Cain had always had it easy, and now Abel is prospering and Cain is floundering. Cain could be just reading the signs, interpreting God's pleasure or displeasure by how his life is going. And of course, Cain is crestfallen. He's the older brother. He's the leader. His work is laborious and long. He has worked hard to till the ground and bring forth a beautiful crop. Up to this point in the story, there's been nothing to suggest that Cain is trying to do anything other than please God. The text implies that the sacrifice, after all, was his idea. Abel's just joining along. But yet Cain is the one that is rejected without ceremony. And to make matters worse, the offering of the younger brother is looked upon with favor. The truth is, I can actually identify with Cain here. He's hurt, perhaps humiliated. All the angst in that moment, the pride that crumples with a sense of loss of self. Now, in the Jewish tradition, Midrash is the body of work where Jewish rabbis have worked to fill in the gaps where Hebrew scripture stories have sort of left out details, where the scripture may only hint at a a particular reason or personality trait. Midrash uses homiletic story preaching to create a more complete picture. Some Jewish scholars in the Midrash have suggested that that Abel taunted Cain. Can't you picture it? Brothers are often in a terrible struggle. Things come more easily one for the other. One is more popular. One tends to have his parents' favor. One has a quick wit and makes the other one the butt of the jokes. The older brother wants to tell the younger brother what to do. The younger one wants to get up one on the older brother. Anybody here have a sibling? Got any stories you want to share? Yeah, we can all see it. I would imagine in this very room... There's some painful stories there, too. Whether Abel taunted Cain or whether Cain simply wanted to lash out at someone because of his hurt, Cain is angry and forms an idea. And again, I have to pause at this point in the text because we, I tend to have this idea that God is this just God. God is a protector. God is omniscient. God knows us well enough to know what is going to happen. And yet, God does nothing. Well, now, God does say to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is lurking at your door. If desire is for you, you must master it. It's in some ways as if a parent looks at her child who just experienced some tremendous pain and is in the grip of the worst of his anger, and she says, what's wrong with you? You need to get a grip. Just breathe. I know you want to clobber that person that caused the pain, but you just need to control that emotion. And then the mom walks out the door, leaving a baseball bat, leaning against the wall, never getting thought of taking it with her, never paying attention to the temptation that that bat could create. I pause because God does not come across as compassionate or fair, a leader that can be trusted, 
but rather a lecturer, one who plays favorites. Neither does God come out as a conquering hero. God knows Cain very well. Surely God has an idea that what Cain is capable of, but God does nothing to protect Abel. Cain is either angry at Abel for the taunts or or my God for not accepting Cain's gift and wants to lash out at Abel, but at the end of the day, Abel is still dead, and God does nothing to keep it from happening. And we deal with this in our world far too often. From the Holocaust, 9-11, Sandy Hook Elementary, and Pagua Community College in Oregon. The innocent die. We are left to grieve, to rail against the injustice of it all, and to wonder why our powerful God has done nothing But the story doesn't stop there, of course. Cain buries his brother, perhaps hoping to get away with murder. But God comes with a very simple question. Where is your brother Abel? And with that question, was God hoping for Cain to immediately admit his guilt and ask for forgiveness? Did God hope that Cain had not followed through with what he was capable of? But no. Cain tries to deflect the question that haunts us all. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And Cain's response may have been sarcastic. It may have been deflective. It may have been courageous. Cain may have been saying to God, you created me. You made me this way. If you don't like the way I'm behaving, you should have stopped me. What's your responsibility here, God? Aren't you the Lord of everything? And Cain's question becomes the basis of our very ethics, and we struggle with it every day. The assumed answer that we hear is, yes, we are our brother's keeper. This church, in fact, participates in Upward Bound Basketball and cheerleading programs that touch the lives of 160 children. You host Commodities Day through the Henderson Christian Outreach, assisting 300 senior adults. You partner with King's Kitchen and Salvation Army to provide meals. You host a fall festival and chili supper for your community. And I understand all this just in October. (laughs) You have a heart for missions, and you give to it. As a faith community, we do not sit around. We see a pain, we see a need, and we look for something we can do to fix it. Sometimes it's writing a check. Sometimes it's building a handicap ramp. Sometimes it's looking for ways to celebrate and throw a party. We know if our brother is stronger, then our community is stronger. We know that we are our brother's keeper. And Cain knew it too. And God responds, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. We live in Kentucky. Lots of farmland. And what's the single most important thing a farmer can have? And that is land. Without land, there's no opportunity to plant, to grow our crops. To be a farmer, you must be stationary. You have to be in one place long enough to till the land, plant it, weed it, water it, wait for the plant to mature and yield its produce. This was Cain's love, his vocation, the very thing he was proud enough of to bring it as an offering to God. Now, God is not only rejected his offering, God has deemed that Cain can no longer do the thing that brings him the most meaning, the one thing he truly loves and knows how to do. And Cain responds, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me will kill me. And in our translation, we tend to read Cain's response as, Oh no, I've been caught. Much like that petulant child who realizes she has to sit in time out or lose access to her favorite toy. 
But Jewish scholars say that's not really a good translation. Rather than, my punishment is greater than I can bear, a better reading would be, my sin is too great to bear. Can you hear the difference? There's suddenly a realization that Cain is not holding up so well under his guilt. He's lost his brother. In fact, he's killed his brother. And he can do nothing to change that. It is permanent damage. Not only the loss of life, but relationship with his family. And the repercussions just keep coming. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his home. He believes he's lost his God. And he is aware that his own life could be in danger, fearing retribution. And here's the funny thing about God, something that tends to run true throughout all stories in Scripture. God is a God of grace. Go back with me to a time perhaps that you were a child and you've done something really, really bad. You may have broken something of value, you've stolen something, you've lied, you've really hurt somebody. I ran over my sister's leg with a four-wheeler. You're hiding from your parent or the person who will be the angriest. And you fear the absolute worst. Now, I recognize that for some of us, the absolute worst might have happened. But for most of us, what happened? Our parent came to us, very likely, very angry, but could also recognize the fear and remorse in us. And the parent begins to temper their response, perhaps taking you in their arms, holding you in silence for a few moments, before beginning to explain the consequences of your actions. No, life cannot go back to the way it was. You've had a loss of innocence. There's a sense of shame and grief that may remain with you for the rest of your life. But there is, in fact, a rest of your life. Our actions can lead us to such shame that we know we are deserving of punishment, deserving of death, deserving of our own self-condemnation. But God stops the vengeance. God does not repay evil for evil. That is our way, not God's way. So the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. The biblical characters of Genesis believe that God resided in a specific geographic area. So if you were to leave that area, it meant that you could no longer have access to your God. If you go into Indiana, you lose God. God would no longer hear your worship, accept your offering, offer you protection. So Cain does leave the presence of God, but only in the sense that Cain goes east of Eden. But God still loves his child. God knows that Cain is leaving and offers Cain not curse, but protection. This murderer is protected for the rest of his natural life from fear of retribution and he's able to look to being creative and productive with his life. He does have to leave his home, his vocation. He goes from the rural agrarian life to build a city, the urban life. To again quote Keeler, Leaving home is a kind of forgiveness, and when you get among strangers, you're amazed at how decent they seem. Nobody smirks at you or gossips about you. Nobody resents your successes or relishes your defeats. You get to start over, a sort of redemption. Yeah, Cain had to make adjustments. He could do it with a clean slate, though, make something new of the mess he's made of his life. Life is hard. Nothing is static. The change can be overwhelming and cause unbalance. For me, life can be full of joy and blessings, and I make decisions with the best information that I have at the time. I like to think that I make those decisions with care and due diligence, but I'm sure I am a child of Cain. I can be impetuous and impulsive 
I can lash out in anger and hurt, and one small decision can lead to another decision, to another decision, and suddenly I realize that where I've ended up, I could not have predicted at the beginning. And then what do I do? In my very best moments, I seek God's grace. I remember the stories of scripture that remind me time and again that God's faithfulness was constant for the murderer, the harlot, the unfaithful, the trustworthy, the outcast. God's faithfulness is steady for those that seek God's face. There is life after poor decisions, and God is faithful to protect us as we go. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm had a difficult early adult life. His health was so fragile, there were periods of time when he was confined to bed, unable to work. Between bouts of illness, he would have to push himself to put in extra hours at various jobs in order to make ends meet. After coming to Christ at the age of 27, Thomas found great comfort in the scriptures and in the fact that God was able to be faithful to be his strength in times of illness and weakness and to provide his needs. Lamentations 3:22-23 was one of his favorite scriptures. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions they fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And he wrote the now beloved words of great is thy faithfulness. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. You all know it. You can sing it with me. Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hopes for change your hymn. Let's sing that sing that again. Let's stand.
opinion it's supposed to be right here see how it picks it up right then see 